Yeehaw, hello and howdy. Thank you for joining us on the Canon Stats Podcast, the world's best Arsenal Analytics podcast. Um, we have been absent for a little bit, so we've got an exciting show lined up for you, answering the questions that you all have sent to us. Um, I am Scott Willis, and always I am joined by my co-host, Adam Bogey. Welcome, Adam. Do you feel rested and ready to take on the run-in? Oh, so wait. Actually, I thought this was the NCAA Final Four podcast. Uh, I better <laughs> oh, that's a different words. one. Yeah, it's a different oh, okay. one. Okay. No, I can talk about Arsenal. Yeah, that's fine. I think about that sometimes. From time to time? All right. Occasionally. Are you, are you, yeah. you excited? Ready? And you feel rested after a, a two-week break? That was the longest two weeks ever. And I am. let me just tell you that I am fully terrified for the next uh, eight weeks of our lives. Yeah, I think that's where I'm at too, right? It's like I, I was feeling pretty good and then... I looked at the, you know, the, the actual fixtures coming up and I'm uh, very nervous, right? I think it's the, the right level that I think we all need to be at here. Right, exactly. All right, we got a, a bunch of really good questions from you guys. Um, unfortunately, we are probably not going to come close to answering all of them. So I think we've talked about we'd like to, you know, put a pin in them and come back to them either as posts or as future content. So um, we will start here with one that's probably the, the topic du jour. So this is Oliver Gottfried asks, which current Arsenal player profiles best to deputize as backup right back when Ben White needs a rest uh, with Tommy out for the rest of the season? And uh, a related question here from, I think his name is uh, Scott Willis asks, what would you do um, if you were to make a tweak in the back line or would you just stick with Rob Holding? So Adam, I'll let you um, take a, a shot at both of these ones here first. Yeah, I mean, I think... You know, who knows what they've been working on over the last week and a half uh, in training. A lot of the guys have been gone, so um, it's not the easiest time to make adjustments. Uh, you know, uh, out of the back four, uh, Zinchenko, Tierney, Kivior, uh, Ben White would have been around, but those guys all would have been gone. So it's going to be hard to have to have practiced any huge changes. Um, I, If it were me, I mean, I, I would certainly be starting Rob Holding, particularly as long as the... Um, the prognosis on Saliba is that um, he's trying to come back. Uh, he's not being yeah, trying out. to manage it. Right. Right. So it seems more like they might be picking and choosing a little bit. Also basing it probably on his, like his load testing. Um, I, I would keep it with Rob. Um, I just think that the, with the system in place, there's just too much interconnectivity that happens and gets disrupted. Uh, if you start chopping and changing too much, um, you know, I just look at especially the the, the uh, chemistry between the fullbacks and the wings and their respective inside uh, or their interior midfielders. I just think it's all too good. Um, I know a lot of people are really worried about Rob, but he um, I mean, if, if you just put put them all in a vacuum, who is most equipped to step in as center back other than Ben White? I mean, it is him. I, there's talk mm-hmm. about Royal Royal Walters. Um, Jakob Kivior is obviously an option, but you get the the angles and everything. So if it were me, Rob holding, um, other, do you want to do the other question first or should I do that one too? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I can just think, I, I think that you, my thought is trying to change as little as possible. So I think that, you know, the most obvious choice is, you know, just bring in a center back and then that's only one change rather than some of these other kind of things that have been kind of floated around where it necessitates, you know, two or three other changes and changing roles for the different people. Um, you know, you probably still do have to do a slight tweak to the roles. Um, ben White probably can't be quite as of aggressive um, with Rob Holding yeah. behind him compared to what, you know, he's able to do with William Saliba. So I think that's kind of my, my general thought and I'm with you there. Um, 
with the 10 first 11 guys in front of him, I think if you stick Rob Holding back there, yeah, it's a, it's obviously a downgrade because obviously Rob Holding is not as good as William Saliba, but it's the most like-for-like like change that I think that we can make in the team right now. So it's definitely the closest thing. He does have he does have experience with Gabriel going back uh, two seasons now. So it's, you know, it's not, I, I think that's, that's the difficulty with the kind of the tenor of Twitter over the past couple of days. Uh, you know, I, I judge things on that because I don't live in North London. I don't talk about Arsenal in person with very many people, but um, there's been a lot of kind of towel throwing in and just kind of catastrophizing about Rob holding. But um, you know, I think, yeah, he's going to make some mistakes over the next couple of weeks, more mistakes than Saliba would. And I don't think that many people would look at this and say, wow, this is great news. Uh, Rob Holding's <laughs> going to steal this job out from under uh, William Saliba's, you know, uh, under out from under his nose. But, um, you know, is it is it the end of the title run? I mean, I think you ha- you have to really remind yourself that uh, the club are up 10 points they are going to have, or sorry, eight points with 10 games mm-hmm. left mixed up those numbers, but they're going to have a chance to prevent city from picking up points directly, potentially with Saliba. As far as we know, um, you know, city themselves have got an injury worry for tomorrow, um, Saturday morning for our American listeners uh, in, in Erling Holland. So uh, Phil Foden won't be able to play tomorrow. It's going to be in, I think it's going to be kind of what, Scott, your other podcast might call squeaky bum time for yes. um, uh, uh, both sides. It's not just us. Yeah, so I think that goes into the. So if you had to make a choice of right back, who would you throw in there if it wasn't going to be Ben White? I think we've seen the answer to this already. I think, I think if, so too. if if Ben White uh, goes down or if Rob Holding goes down and Ben White moves inside, I think it would be part, part A, party. Uh, I don't know why I said it like that, but um, <laughs> I just like stuttered. But anyway, I think it'd be party. And I think that Jorginho would come into the midfield. I, that, that seemed like Arteta was tipping his cap a little bit, which he doesn't do very often, but um, that felt like that at the end of the palace game. Yeah, I think so too. Right. Cause I, I was saying things through this and right. So, you know, there's been some talk about, you know, Reese Nelson coming in and I just, I really don't see that working. As I think the that's option. crazy. Um, I think, at best, you you know, if we wanted to do also to test, you know, change it to like a back three and then, you know, put him as a wing back. But I mean, again, we're talking about multiple changes. So I don't like that one. Um, you're talking about, you know, moving Zinchenko from the left to the right. You know, I think that's weakening us at two positions. And it's also really kind of like, does that work necessarily with, you know, his body shape and the passes that he needs to be able to make as a right back kind of on the right wing. I don't know. I mean, that one maybe could work, but I, I would definitely not have that as my first choice. There's, you know, some people, you know, saying, oh, Bukayo Saka should come back. And it's like, I, I don't doubt that, you know, if you put Bukayo Saka at right back, that he wouldn't be at least above average decently because, I mean, he's just a ridiculously good player that I think he could play almost everywhere on the pitch. But that comes at a major cost of our basically taking what has been our player of the season and moving yeah. him out of his best position. And I, I just don't think you do that if your your goal is to win matches. Like if Arsenal were looking to not lose matches, maybe that's something that you do. But no, Arsenal are in the situation where winning points is more important than trying to protect draws and doing those kinds of things. So, um, right. yeah. And then, then the last choice that I think anyone would ever want to see is, you know, like um, Jorginho playing right back. Like, no, I don't want to see his foot speed against wingers like ever. So I, no. I think really there is kind of one option 
should Ben White need to do it? I mean, I guess Rural Walters, maybe you throw him, but it's like, I don't want to throw a kid in some of these high pressure, massive leverage situations. Like yeah. that's just not, un- that's just very unfair to me, I think. So yeah, I think that there is really only one viable choice here. Yeah. And it's, it's not even entirely that viable. Um, <laughs> yeah. I just think, I think that, you know, it was really an underrated moment of the season when Tamiyasu came into the lineup and started playing left back and um, looked a little shaky at times, but adapted pretty quickly and then started looking pretty darn good um, because it, it's a, it's a mirror image of what you do on the other side. Uh, there's been, there's been like, you know, I kind of attribute it or it's compare it to um, like, if you're an offensive tackle in American tackle football and you switch to the other side, the footwork is backwards. It's not the same. Um, and those guys hone and hone and hone and hone and hone doing it one way because they are a left tackle or a right tackle. And I think it's a lot the same way. Like Kieran Tierney is a left back and he plays left center back when he doesn't play left back. So to ask a very left footed player to all of a sudden switch sides um, and have everything be backwards when he's trying to lead a player to the end line um, instead of like back toward the center of the pitch, he's positioning his body the complete opposite way. I think it's just a really big ask. And Scottish followers of mine on Twitter have said um, the, you know, I did look up his right back performance for Scotland and they said he was bad when he was a right back. So, uh, you know, maybe we shouldn't even try that. They said they like were relying on some kid from Kilmarnock or something like that until Aaron Hickey finally was ready. Yeah. So hopefully, I mean, it, it doesn't come to that. I mean, I, I, it sounds like that, you know, Arteta is playing things really close to the chest with how bad things are with Saliba. So it's hard to really kind of get a, a good feel for where things are at. Um, right. But I think that is kind of like we, we stick with Rob Holding when we have to and we play William Saliba when we can. But I think that's kind of the the first choice right now. And then we've got a lot of uh, in case of emergency options that I don't think anybody wants to really see. Exactly. All right. Uh, next question here from the the very, very good name. Billy Yum Yum 2 by 2 asks, who at yeah. Arsenal is, um, is deserves the credit for the recent success? It's a great question. It um, is a good question. I, I, th- I think that there are a lot of things that go on behind closed doors that we don't get to see and would be a hell of a lot easier to answer this question if we did. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think that, I think that to some degree ownership does deserve some, some serious credit. Um, yeah. Right. Know, they, they've made a lot of money available over the yes. last few years when we were out of the champions league, um, even out of the Europa league, not getting anything, making quite a bit yeah. of transfer funds available. Yeah. And I remember, I remember kind of back in the dark ages of like 2020, um, 2021, having a conversation with somebody um, and it was, it was in a, in a time when it was a lot harder to see Mikel Arteta doing this. Um, You know, I admittedly did not always see it and I'm, I'm never pretend like I did. Um, And I said at the time, uh, you know, the decision to stick with him kind of after, you know, the loss to Burnley going into boxing day, like things were rough and the decision to stick with him and pivot with him and not get rid of him and start over and pivot with another person, which is what like 99 out of a hundred times you would see um, would either go down as like one of the great con jobs by Arteta <laughs> or one of the great uh, talent, like identification jobs by KSE. Um, and I, I think, so I think, I think that they do deserve a lot of credit for not booting Arteta at that point, like pre boxing day, 2021, 
Um, but I mean, you obviously have to give Arteta a ton of credit because there was a real uh, need for a culture change mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at Arsenal. And it, it was not, I mean, Scott, this, it was not uh, pretty for a long time getting rid of some of the guys like so- Socrates and Ozil and yeah, I felt like there was a lot of guys that were just comfortable here. Right. And it didn't yeah. feel like there was like any sort of expectation. Well, there was certainly expectations, but like the expectations, it didn't really feel like there was consequences if the expectations weren't met. It was, yeah, it was not, I, I wouldn't say that it was a very um, accountability driven yeah. culture. And, uh, you know, I mean, Ganduzi would be another one that was not always a very popular move. And he, he kind of rolled that roller coaster all the way down to the bottom, but he never really backed off of anything. Uh, kind of Aubameyang might've been the last, the last one that we really saw that with. So for me, I mean, KSE and Arteta are certainly very high on it. I think that, um, you know, Edu in terms of making things happen that seemingly Arteta has wanted to happen is kind of like a, 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 not, not a close third, but not a distant third either, but that would be my split. Yeah. I think that's a, a pretty fair one. And I think one of the things that always comes to mind when I hear this kind of a question is when I think about some of the transfers, it feels like when Arsenal do well, Mikel Arteta gets the credit when, yeah. you know, things have not gone well, Edu gets the blame. And I think that that's a, a pretty simplistic way of thinking about it. Cause I think Edu has a big, you know, share in, you know, being able to help lead the team, right. As the technical director to help set the tone of, you know, with, you know, in conjunction with Arteta, like how does the team want to play and, right. you know, being able to identify the types of players that fit inside of that system and then actually going mm-hmm. and identifying them. Right. Like I don't, you know, I, mean, I do expect that Arteta is watching tons of film, but I don't know if he's watching, you know, every single match from every single league around the world. Like he's got to focus on, you know, getting the team ready for the next match. Um, So I think that's something that, you know, falls on Edu and his technical team to be able to do. And you kind of think through, you know, that hasn't been hundred percent perfect, but I think Edu's team has done really well at being able to identify talent. Um, And then also like, I think they've done well at also being able to back out when things aren't right. um, Being able to pivot, when you know the first choice doesn't come through necessarily right. um, to be able to have multiple first choices that kind of fit. Uh, I know that was one of the things that I complained about a bunch kind of at the very beginning, but it feels like that's becoming less. I, it really felt like, you know, the initial Thomas party chase, it was Thomas party, your bust. And we didn't really have a choice. And we kind of got ourselves stuck in that situation where we had to end up paying the release clause because we didn't really have a viable choice to, you know, be able to say, Oh, we're going to do something else. So right. it feels like we've learned a bit from that mistake. So I think that Edu has certainly done well on that regard. Not perfect, right? Because his sales have not been mm-hmm. good, but you know, how much of that is just, we've had crap players to try to sell. I think there's a yeah. lot of, yeah, lots of good things that have come from Arsenal's success. I mean, if we can ever, if we can ever get a sporting director or a technical director who is selling uh, the players that we don't want consistently for a profit or dozens of millions of pounds, I mean, build them a statue outside the Emirates because that's, that's an accomplishment because we're those guys are not being sold up the ladder, right? They're being sold down. Um, and they're part of the reason the way the ladder is what it is, is because of money. Um, so I think you expect less money when crystal palace buys your player than if Barcelona were buying him. So I think, I think that Adu um, a lot like Arteta, I think that, uh, as we look forward into the future, um, I think, I think his reputation gets better and better. I really do. Yeah. And I think there's, we have to credit some just, you know, kind of luck 
to going with it, right? It's like we got a world class player out of our academy. Yes, that's just you can't always bet on something like that happens. So, I mean, yes, there's there's great coaching and everything that goes into that talent acquisition to be able to you know bring credit pair for that. Yeah, um, you know, be able to identify him. Um, Saka, you know, from a young age and, you know, build him up to that. But I mean, that's just, you know, a huge string of luck. And, you know, it's, it sounds like, oh, you're, you're discounting. It's like, but no luck is, you know, something that you kind of need to be able to get to this level. Um, and I think that's okay to acknowledge. Yeah. We got lucky that has him. And that is awesome. We didn't have to go spend a hundred million pounds to bring in Bukaya Saka. Like we built him through the Academy. And those yeah. are the kinds of things that, um, really kind of turn you into a potential, you know, golden generation team. And I think that's something that's really, really cool. Yeah. I mean, timing, timing always is a factor and whether you want to call it luck or destiny, or if you're religious, you know, <laughs> the grand plan or the whatever. Um, yeah. I mean, it's no different than, I mean, look at Liverpool, they had Trent at the perfect time. Um, you know, Manchester city you have guys like Phil Foden and, and their next generation very well might be built on the, the back of, uh, you know, somebody like Cole Palmer and Rico Lewis. So uh, you just get guys come along at the, at the perfect time in it. Or like, I mean, it's like, where would um, Tottenham be without Harry Kane, right? They got, you know, almost 200 million pound striker, like one of like the best strikers in the world that came through their Academy. Like that Mm -hmm. is enough to really push you up levels that, you know, maybe you wouldn't have hit without that. Exactly. All right. Um, yeah, just to put my final spin on it, I think it's 20% KSE and the management team like doing that. I would say 35% for tech, um, you know, Edu and his technical team. And then the other 45%, uh, Mikel Arteta and his coaching team being able to do it. I think that's kind of my breakdown of the success off the top of my head. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's not, it's definitely a split pot, right? It's not, it's not everybody. It's not one person taking the lion's share in my opinion. Yeah, like it's just like when things screw up, like it's not just one person who screws up. It's a, a team no. thing. And I think there's been, yeah, lots of team that have gone into the success. And I think if you take out any of those factors, Arsenal are not at the same place that they are right now. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, next one is from Hal. I'd love a retrospective on Fabio Vieira. What is he actually doing on the pitch, good and bad? How is that different from what he was doing in Portugal? Where do you expect his game to go next year as he beds into the team? Mm-hmm. It's a good question. It is. It is a really good question. And it's, it's um, I think that when you, when you sign a player like a Fabio Vieira, um, there's really like a test of patience for mm-hmm. fans. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, we saw this a little bit with Albert Sambi Lakanga as well. I mean, he's, he's older. And I think one big difference is between those two players and like the way that they've been uh, used uh, Sambi really got thrown into the deep end. Um, Fabio Vieira and Sambi got thrown into the deep end. And, and let's just say he wasn't so equipped to swim in the yeah. part of the pool that Arsenal thought he was. So I think there was a bit of a misprofile. Yeah. And I think um, that there's also, you think about where he was thrown in there is like, that is a high wire act where yeah. mistakes are amplified. Yeah. And it's, it's a really, really, yeah. Like you said, really tough job to do. So I think with Fabio, there's, there's a lot to talk about, right? Because he, um, you know, I, as somebody who has, has like tried to talk people off the ledge with him, (laughs) I think that, um, he was a disappointment overall against sporting. I really thought that he would take it kind of rise to the occasion, get to play a club that he's familiar with. Um, he got to go back to his home country, you know, all that stuff. He was fine in the first, leg. he wasn't amazing. Uh, in the second leg, he was, I thought he was fairly poor. Um, but I think that 
that to some extent with Fabio, I do think that we're seeing uh, a bit of a, like an amplification or another application of like what, what I'm going to lovingly refer to as like the Enchetti attacks where um, you get uh, a player largely uh, sent out with a rotated team of backups and starters who don't really want to be there in the Europa League games. And they don't look great. Um, they yeah. really don't. And Fabio has not, uh, I don't, I think he's maybe had like one impressive Europa League performance. Um, so once you get him actually into like the games that matter though, uh, much like we saw with Enkedia, who just kind of hit kind of a rough patch with his finishing, but otherwise to me was pretty, pretty darn good for a month and a half. Um, then I think you really get to see a little bit more of why people got excited about him. Now go back in your mind to what was it August when we played Brentford and Fabio was very good in that game. I think Odegaard was sick um, and he had to miss it. And then he had a, he had another recent start, I think maybe for Xhaka yeah. against uh, was it Aston Villa maybe. And I thought he was good in that game. So I think that with Fabio, you know, what's the rotation going to be like? I don't know, but he's a little guy. He's, he plays a feel-based game a lot like Odegaard. Odegaard had plenty of games where he was not on it exactly um, in his first Yeah, because I think there was a lot of questions about Odegaard at the end of that loan where people were not fully sold on him. But then he had other games like the West Ham game where you just completely saw his quality come through, um, you know, where he basically like grabbed us by the scruff of our neck and brought us back to a 3-3 draw. Yeah. Uh, I think he came on when we were th- three down in that game. So it's, I think yeah, I don't think he's... Fabio has had the same level of impact in one particular match. I think he's had a few moments where he's really shown what he's capable of, but yeah. it, it's still been very much in moments and not in, you know, 50 right. minutes, 60 minute stretches. And although, although that they are roughly the same age, Fabio now and Odegaard then mm-hmm. um, one thing I would say that, should be kept in mind, not that I'm trying to make excuses for him, was that last season was essentially his first um, being r- really an actually integral part of a senior team. And even then, uh, as he came on for Porto, it was basically in the second half of the season, once Luis Diaz was gone, that he really started to f- to figure into their uh, to their like really regular selection. Like if you go back to 2021, I'm just looking at his, his numbers. He played like a total of about 400 minutes in the league, um, less than five full games. Uh, and then, so he was tr- like training with the senior team for three years, but um, really, I just feel like guys, especially field-based guys just really need regular action. Um, so I do expect Fabio. I don't expect Arsenal to try to replace him with another number 10 style playmaker. I don't expect any of that. I think he's going to be a backup for Odegaard for a while. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, if after three years, he just hasn't shown what they felt he was worth 40 million for. Yeah, they can move him on. And if not, um, or and the other, al- the other alternative is that he's pushing the guy for his job. Yeah. So I think, he, yeah, it's, it's been a, a decent, I think, first season for him. Right. I think there was yeah, it's been my, my my expectations were that it would take a while for him to be able to settle in and translate, you know, because, you know, it's a big step up to go from Portugal to the Premier League, um, especially with a player of his build and, you know, the level that Arsenal are at. I mean, I don't think yeah. I expected Arsenal to be at this level, but now that they are competing for a title, that just really raises the level of what he needs to be able to do to grade into the team. And I think that that's been fine. 
you think about, I think the, the areas that I think that I would like to see more out of him is obviously in the actual, his actual shot production. Um, I think that's something that he did a lot better last year at Portugal, um, where he was able to actually get further um, up the pitch. I mean, part of that is he was playing a bit more in position. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that's something that, you know, we saw from um, Odegaard as well, right? Where he did a lot of his pretty passes and, you know, did a lot of the, the pre-assisting kind of things. And then, you know, the next step for him was to translate that into actually, you know, more key passes and more shots. And like, that's really what's mm-hmm. pushed him to the next level this year. So I think that's a similar kind of thing from Vieira. Like, right, he's he's doing lots of the good passes. Um, I still think that he can do more of that, you know, more of a little bit, the, the progressive passing, um, a little bit more of the carrying and actually engaging with people. But I think that's something, you know, he needs to get a little bit more of his size in to be able to get that going. So, I mean, I think it's been a, as if we're going to rate it out of 10, to me, it's been a six and a half out of 10. Like he's basically kind of met my minimum expectations of him. I don't think yeah. he's been a failure. Um, he certainly has not been, you know, a surprise, but he's been about right. And in the, in the two occasions to date, when he has been needed to start uh premier league games, he's, he's done well. Yeah. Um, I think, I think especially, you know, given the rhetoric about like, who cares about the Europa League, you know, we, we need to win the league first and foremost. I mean, I think that needs to play a really big role because ultimately, um, ultimately our backups should be judged on there. I mean, you know, speak of Rob Holding, speak of the devil, right? Our, yeah. our backups should be able to be judged on their ability to come in and provide a service at least close enough to the starters that um, Arsenal do not fall off a cliff. And yeah. I think in his two starts, he's certainly done that. Yeah, I mean, you kind of think about you want your backup guy to not have a massive delta between the starter. And I think when he's played with the other, you know, first team, he's looked pretty good, right? I don't yeah. think there's been a, a massive gaping hole in the team necessarily, because um, I think he's filled in for Odegaard. He's filled in for Jacka, And I think he's looked, you know, respectable in both of those positions. Um, he, he obviously hasn't, you know, taken those you know guys and made them think, oh, um, I'm watching my back kind of thing. Although there was some, a little bit right early in the season where people were trying to push him, you know, for, for Odegaard. Yeah. But I don't think that was ever really fully fair, but no, I think it's been, it was hyperbole. Yeah. So I think, um, where do you see him next year? Backing up Odegaard. Um, yeah. I don't think, I don't think he's the, you don't think he's the left eight. No. Uh, I don't think that he's big enough or strong enough. I think, uh, as much as as much as you know, they were fine. Uh, his start was actually against Bournemouth, by the way. The that's true. Reece, yeah. The Reese Nelson game against Villa, he came on for Jacka after like thirty minutes because Jacka got hurt. I think. Yeah, he but played anyway, the the really nice assist for uh, Martinelli's goal against Villa, right? Uh, the the third. That's yeah. When uh, yeah, when Emmy Martinez went way up. Yep. Yeah. Oh yes, thank you. I'm getting my games mixed up because he came in later anyway, but uh, no, he's going to be, he's going to be the backup. Um, He's not, he is not hardy enough. In my opinion, I think that you put an Odegaard party, uh, Fabio Vieira midfield out regularly in the premier league. Um, It puts too much pressure on party to control that midfield. As much as I love both of those players, I think that, I think that they're too similar Mm -hmm. and uh, not, able to kind of cope with the physicality enough as a unit of two guys. I think Odegaard and Jacka can. Um, Jacka also has a much better like defensive instinct tracking back. He makes plays like that. I don't know that I want to trust Odegaard and um, Fabio Vieira to do that job. Yeah, no, I think you're, you're totally right there. Um, I think, yeah, I think maybe if he gets some extra heft onto him, 
maybe he can, you know, fill in more on the, the right wing as well. And that'll kind of bring us into the next question. All right. Yeah. We have to add some right wing depth. You have to choose one of these players for 50 million euros here. So we got uh, Michael Elise, you got Samuel Chakwezi, Musa Diaby, Nico Williams. Yeah. And I think if I'm not mistaken, the question puts them all at the same price. Yes. To be fair. Yes. Um, if, they may not all be the same price, but I mean, we'll just, you know, if you had to pick one, would, would you, yeah, who you're picking. If, if they're all at the same price, I would take Diaby every time. Um, okay. he, he is the best player on that list, in my opinion, by a solid distance. Um, be, he has uh, basically been the one thing that has been good for Bayer Leverkusen the whole season. Uh, he, I think he has good control of the ball. He's a good dribbler. He's got great pace. He's not a big guy. He's not strong per se, but, um, you know, he, he can score. He makes plays with his passing. Um, I just, I, I like him. I think that he would fit in. My only big question would be whether Arsenal really have enough playing time for him. Mm -hmm. Uh, that, that said, you know, Leverkusen might be crashing out of Europe altogether if they can't figure it out here in their own stretch run. Um, I think that, Nico Williams is on that list, right? He is indeed. Yes. I think that Nico Williams um, is a really interesting shout for a club like Arsenal. He has a lower uh, release clause. I think it's more like 35 million pounds or something like that. Um, he, uh, I, th- I, might, I might be a little low on that. Anyway, Google it. Um, he, <laughs> so he, the one thing about him is that he is right footed. Uh, so Arteta might prefer him as a left wing. He does, he does mostly right wing for athletic club, but he does play on the left sometimes. Um, otherwise, you know, you look at Sam Chukweze, he's another smaller guy. Yeah. I think not... he might've been the guy that I might have picked first, I think as the best fit for Arsenal personally. Yeah. Cause he is, he is a left footed right winger. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got, he's got great pace. My thing about him is that, you know, like moments that make you really like him. Um, I think that he, he does really seem to thrive at full speed a lot. Like, yeah somebody like a Mudrick or a Pepe, um, you know, his real big defining moment of his career for me is uh, putting Bayern Munich to bed um, on a counterattack. So, uh, you know, but he's, he's got some good underlying stuff, handling the ball. Well, care, you know, just really direct carrying um, might be, I think there might be some tools there that Arteta could get out. I think that all four of those guys would honestly be pretty good signings. Um, Every, one, yeah. Diaby got, would be the best one though. Yeah. So what do you think about Elise um, Crystal Palace? To me, like that one only really, I think, makes sense. Like, should Crystal Palace go down and like he absolutely wants to go out? Yeah, um, I, he kind of would be a bit of a reclamation project. I think he's got the talent there, but the the system hasn't quite worked for him this year or the the application. There's, yeah. there's a bit of a yeah, I mean, he, the age is fine, right? Like, I'm not worried. He's got the tools and the talent there at the age. It's just he's that it has roughly quite clicked this year. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's he's doing he's doing okay. Um, I would say that my eye test on him this season has not, I have not liked what I've seen Um, really. uh, And maybe, I mean, maybe it's Patrick Vieira's fault. I don't know. Two seasons ago, he was a lot better, but this season he just kind of looked off of it, off of it Mm -hmm. to me Um, just like effort and uh, strength. And I just think, you know, while he's got some really good raw talent, I think maybe there was, and I was saying this, uh, you know, 18 months ago, maybe there's something to that first thousand ish minutes in the premier league. That was a bit of a purple patch. Um, but you know, he's got, he's got skills. He could definitely be a backup. I just, like you said, I don't know if crystal palace would really let him go 
for anything that would be reasonable um, because he's basically one of their most important assets at this point. Yeah. Like who else are they going to kind of build around at this point? Um, it, it's kind of like he is kind of the, the crown of the jewels right now at that. Him team. and Ducore are probably the most untouchable players that they've got. Yeah. So um, I guess if I was to, to rate them, I, I think fit for Arsenal, I'd go Chukwezi, Diaby, Williams, Elise for me right now. Yeah, I think that's fair. But um, I mean, I got to be happy with it, right? Yeah, any of the the, the three previous ones, um, Elise, it depends on the price, I think, a lot there. But he would be my fourth. Yeah, oh, he'd, he'd be a, a fine fourth. Um, um, so I know we're, we're, we're coming to a, a, an end here. Um, so I, I did have another question, so we'll have to kind of push that one back to the end. Um, any predictions for Leeds tomorrow? How are you feeling about that one? No, I'm feeling pretty fine. Um, the you know the I think that the injuries that they're facing are going to be really tough uh, for them. You know they're going to have to rely a lot on a midfield without Tyler Adams that um, could potentially be a problem for them. Obviously, having not having Nanto um, off the wings that takes away a lot of their kind of their spark mm-hmm, in attack. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's as much been as real, I, real special so far this year for him. Yeah, as much as I do like Brendan Aronson, you know, a fellow American. Um, I saw an interesting study of him over the past few days that after the world cup, he has really fallen off a cliff, um, which is, you know, perfect timing for Arsenal, of course. Um, so without, without him, uh, without Nanto, without um, Tyler Adams, you get like Mark Roca would have to really step up, uh, you know, maybe Luis Sinistera, who's another player I do like. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, I think that you look at that and you see uh, this is a, a, a title contenders game that you should win. Yeah, I don't think that they're going to be looking ahead of this one. I as much as the the game at the at Anfield is coming up and everything, I think it's so far away that the focus should be pretty squarely on this. So, you know, I don't Arsenal seem to never get a clean sheet. So what, maybe two or three to one? Maybe I think that sounds fair. All right, um, I think this has been good. Um, we'll talk again Monday to to try to get back into the swing and you know rhythm of things. Um, if you enjoyed the episode, um, you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe, consider leaving a rating review. Those things always help um, to stay up to date with Canon stats uh, to get all the latest content. You know, follow us on Twitter, um, on Instagram. I think we're you know, Facebook too. And uh, I try to post there fairly regularly. Um, thanks for listening. Um, we'll talk to you after the next one. Cheers, y'all.